what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Yoga particularly feels so good because I matched my breath to my movement and it just kind of feels like I'm syncing everything up and my emotion kind of all aligns with that like flow, you know, it gets me in a flow state. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Kashia here. I'm the COO and co-host of the Meet Bridget podcast, and together with my best friend and partner, Asha Gabriel, I help run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. We're back today for another one-on-one episode of the season. We got some really great feedback on our recent two-part episode on body image, and we wanted to really further the conversation on another part of our health, our psychosocial and emotional well-being with another two-part series, this time on mental health. As this is such a vast topic, we wanted to have a candid discussion on our experiences with mental health, what self-care actually means, how to maintain a healthy mindset and balance to our daily lives. But this episode is not meant to serve as a clinical reference tool. What we want to do is really share a narrative that reflects our personal experiences and give something back to our audience. As a disclaimer, we will likely be candidly discussing issues including suicide, depression, anxiety, and other mental health disorders. Should any of these things be triggering to you at this time, please feel free to sit this episode out or see our show notes for resources. Additionally, this conversation is sourced and biased by our own personal experiences. Our hope is that if you find yourself or someone you love struggling, you will not feel alone and may even feel empowered to utilize the resources we cite throughout our episode. Welcome to our Meet Bridget community if you're new here, and welcome back longtime listeners. Keish, I'm so glad to sit down with you again. I'm really loving these conversations. Um, I love every conversation with you, but it's been so fun to kind of organize our thoughts around these topics that are so relevant um, with our listeners. So Today, we really wanted to, um, we put some feelers out with uh, some of our listeners about questions they had on this topic. So we wanted to start with a little um, just intro, just defining some of the terms around mental health. I feel like it's such, I mean, for for good reasons, I think that it's um, a buzz word right now, mental health. Everyone's kind of talking about it, which is great, but it also mm-hmm. can be a little bit confusing and gray area, you know, by its nature. So we wanted to spend some time talking about the areas of mental health and different issues and resources. And then in part two, we'll dive into some listener questions in this area. So, so let's dive in. Excited to get into it. Yep. I think this is really cool because throughout the history of our now three season podcast. We've had a couple guests who've really touched on some mental health things, notably Laura Reeves, Mofidi, and more recently, Katie Wee. And so I think it's it's a really apt timing. Like you said, Asha, I think we hear and see things on social media so much now, you know, buzzwords like self-care, mental health. I see trauma, like I my PTSD, my trauma that I'm like trying to get past. Like people are talking about this so much more openly. And as we know, I think there are two sides of the coin 
in social media, in reality, where, you know, you talk about something so much, then it almost becomes like the toxic positivity thing where the lines become blurred. So we're not experts. I do work in healthcare, but we are not experts on mental health. Again, we just want to share some of our experiences and hopefully you get something out of this. Obviously, we love sitting with each other and talking and just shooting the shit. So hopefully this is a good one for everyone. But why this matters. Yeah, it matters because, I mean, there's so many stats. We were like, which ones should we include? I think everybody who hasn't been living under a rock has heard of these, like the studies that Facebook was like keeping private about how like legit Instagram and social media use, TikTok, everything, you know, I think it's a group now absolutely negatively impacts the mental health, particularly of young women, that that's like, it's accepted now, you know? Yeah. And still, this is a part of our, like social media is a part of almost everybody's life that we're just, it's too prevalent to give up. So it's like now- kind of like the horse is out of the gate. Yeah. So what do we do? And it's (laughs) trippy. I mean, I feel like I've I've heard a couple podcasts on even like AI and that could be an entire separate- Oh my God. But on like robotics and automation and all of this stuff. But I heard this podcast that was like, um, you know, we're a little behind like the wave and understanding some of the dangers of like letting this stuff happen before we have, you know, a full understanding of how it works. Um, But I think that, yeah, social media is really like it's such an unbelievable resource and blessing in so many ways. It helps us connect to our community, but it also um, you know, we are aware of the damage that it can do, especially to to young minds. Um, one stat that this is literally from 2014. So think about in almost 10 years, this has absolutely changed. But even in 2014, more than one in 10 children between 12 and 17 years old experienced an episode of major depression. And like an episode of major depression, that's not just saying like, oh, I feel sad sometimes. One in 10 kids, 10% of children in 2014 and almost 10 years from then, with such a development in all of our like, social media and pressures of our lives, it's scary to think about the state of, of young people. Again, another stat that really shook us was that suicide is the fourth leading cause of death among 15 to 29-year-olds. Locally, we've also had some stories of like suicide in itself is an issue, you know, but then you also have the fentanyl issues mm-hmm. and you know how that's been affecting young people and older people anyone like that there's just like so many different like high risk factors in mm-hmm. um young life right now well i think too it's so notable because comparisons always been a killer like that phrase has been around for as long as i can remember mm-hmm. and i know we've talked about this before like when we were teens the idea of comparing yourself to what you know the prevalent picture of perfection was certainly still existed. I think the major difference is now is that like access to that has been so accelerated. It's not like you have to walk through a grocery store and see like People Magazine and like Britney Spears on the cover and like you're looking at the magazines as you check out and it's just like the girls at school. Now it's like you're at home and even in a safe place if you're scrolling on your phone and you're a young girl, young person, you're constantly surrounded by 
comparison to other people's lifestyles, the way other people look. And so I think this has really been a major contributor, as we've seen, like you said, with these studies on Facebook and Meta and Instagram, because there's so much more exposure on a daily and minute to minute basis. There's no way of escaping that very human urge or um, habit to compare. And I think that also, you know, when you don't understand how to extract yourself from that mindset or that mental space, that's where, you know, some of these mental health disorders get really triggered or exacerbated. Yeah. Well, I I think that like, even without social media, when it comes to mental health, it's like, there can be a disconnect between how you think you are perceived to other people, like your social persona and also like your, your interior you know, and, mm-hmm. and your inner persona there without social media that can already create issues for people like, oh, how do people see me and how do I want to be seen and then who I actually feel I am. But then you add in like these social media platforms and all these other ways where we present ourselves in pictures and videos and different like forms. Then it's like a, a third type of like avatar, you know, that we're having to yeah. um, worry about comparison. And then you're even if you're not comparing yourself to a bunch of other people, then you're kind of comparing yourself to this like this online version of yourself, even mm-hmm. like that can even- or the pressure to brand or yes. you know create this persona. It's really interesting too. Um, at the time of recording this episode, we haven't yet released Alexa Felice's interview, but the episode right before this one with Alexa Felice, she talks about how she really grew up comparing herself to her twin sister, who was, you know, a completely different body type than her. Alexa was always like a bigger build and her sister was like the much thinner, like in, in her eyes, like what she felt like she was supposed to look like. And I just, I was thinking like, gosh, like there's so much pressure like in the world already that it must have been really difficult to be faced with that every day. And it's somebody that you love and like she had to reckon with those feelings, but even to have it be your own family member. And I think for people who don't have a twin, you can kind of still empathize with that because like you said, you hop on your phone, you're still comparing yourself to that persona or that image or brand that you're building or people around you. And it can kind of be a vicious cycle. The major depressive thing in teens is wild. And I think another thing that's been really rampant is anxiety. And one of the things that we really wanted to point out was everybody has different moods from day to day. Like obviously there are days where you're sadder, stressed out, anxiety is a real thing. Like those are all parts of how we cope with life as human beings. And feelings are not mutually exclusive. You can certainly be happy and sad at the same time or excited and anxious at the same time. But when we talk about major depressive disorders or anxieties, we're talking about things that are actually causing clinical changes. And what I mean by that, and we'll we'll quote all of these references, but the point where it goes beyond just like a normal mood swing is when there are several criteria that you're meeting. For somebody to be clinically diagnosed, usually they need to have at least five of seven behavioral changes accompanying, you know, their depression or their their anxiety. So 
in short, and I'm just going to run through them really fast. If you're having changes in sleep, you know, new onset of guilt, changes in your energy level, changes in concentration, or in the way that you complete tasks, changing your appetite, change in motivation, thoughts of suicide. Those are like the big ticket items that if you are noticing that in yourself or somebody else, that takes it beyond the level of just like a normal day-to-day shift in mood or energy or, or anxiety. So that's what we're talking about when we're talking about mental illness. I think it's really important too to cite these like clinical diagnoses of these things, because I think it is great for people to talk about mental health and how they're feeling. I think that's, it's great that we're normalizing that. But also like the self-diagnosis is not necessarily productive. I think there is, you know, we're going to reference therapy and different methods of therapy and seeking help throughout this episode. But in that process, I think it is so important to make sure you look into the accreditation of the people that you're working with, of the resources that you're using, because it creates a actual framework for you to follow. Like, you know, I think that there there are these resources available where it's like, huh, I've been really feeling down about this thing. You know, am I depressed or am I actually just feeling a grief? Like maybe I lost Mm -hmm. someone. I'm feeling Mm -hmm. grief. Like am I experiencing grief or am I depressed? You know, and running through these frameworks and really understanding or reaching out to someone who can walk through it with you is so valuable because this is funny because I, I feel like there's so many parallels now, like we're parents, but in learning parenting, it's like there's so many things that I think can be applied throughout our lives. But I read mm-hmm. something recently about, you know, parenting children. And it's like, you have to give your child the ability to feel sad, feel frustrated, feel bored. To be a good parent doesn't mean you're just keeping your kid happy all the time. Like all of these other emotions are natural and like and good, you know, to create some sort of foil to to your good emotions too, and to just invalidate and say like good vibes only, you know, like they're happy <laughs> all the time is actually like super unrealistic, you know? Like, yeah. It's not human. And I think that we went through, especially on social media, like this whole era of just like good energy only. I'm only the good comes to me. I manifest only good things. Like, yes, focusing on the positive is great, but like the human existence is full of experiences and many of them are not great. You know, like we have finite lives. People get sick. People pass away. People have failure in their careers. Like these things happen and learning how to like cope, you know, and recognize like, okay, what is a healthy way of me coping with this? And then like, okay, how can I be self-aware enough to like recognize that like, okay, maybe this isn't, this isn't healthy and maybe I should mm-hmm. see health in this moment. I think there's a definite, definite balance. This might be very Scorpio of me, but I'm so anti-toxic positivity. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> I really am a firm believer and you know this. And, and I think this is also a tenet of what we do at Bridget is we lean into the failures, you know, yeah. not because it's like, oh, we want to fail. Like that feels really good. No, but that's really where the magic happens. I mean, you can't learn, you can't grow without having a failure. Just like without darkness, there would be no light. We need these things. We need the yin and the yang and the balance to really fully be able to appreciate 
the full breadth of this life we've been given. It's, you know, and you don't have to like be religious or, or even spiritual. I think like you can look at that as a completely like standalone statement and hopefully that resonates. And the other thing that you said that really hit home for me, Ashi, is looking for somebody, like if you are looking for help or support, making sure that you know who your resources are and what their credentials are. I think this is so important. A lot of people don't realize that there are different, you know, sectors of like finding help in mental health. And in general, it's all stigmatized. So it's like, I think a lot of people, I hear this a lot, that they are hesitant to seek therapy because they don't feel like they want to be on medication or they don't want to feel crazy. And they're very different things. So you can see a therapist who's like an LMFT, which is they're like a licensed family therapist and they don't prescribe. That's not what they're credentialed for. They're credentialed to work through these issues. And a lot of them utilize tactics like cognitive behavioral therapy or dialectic behavioral therapy, EMDR, like different modalities. And then there are psychologists. Those are like the old school, like I was going to say Siegfried and Roy, (laughs) but (laughs) It's late. <laughs> but <they're, laughs> you know, <laughs> Sigmund Freud, like old school psychologist, like when you think about like somebody who studies, you know, quote unquote mental health or or like mental disorders and things like that. And then you have psychiatrists who are the people that, you know, go to medical school to learn about psychiatric pharmacology and how to diagnose and and treat people with medications. So, and now I think the field of mental health is growing even broader, even in medicine, because now we have, people are starting to talk about alternative treatments with, you know, things that were used in the past, like mushrooms and I'm sure like LSD and MDMA and stuff like that, which are really interesting studies, but again, are done like in the clinical setting. I'm not talking about like going out and doing drugs, like very, very different. I know. Yeah. Going back to the like fentanyl stuff, like (laughs) on your own. But I think that it it is helpful to know that there are, there's a variety of certifications, a variety Mm -hmm. of approaches that you can take to be candid. We love to like share that our own experiences, we've mentioned this on the podcast before, but like we've both been in different forms of mental health care. While I was actually going through my cancer treatment, I originally sought out treatment and that was with the first option that Kishia mentioned, the licensed LMFT. So licensed, I think it's marital family therapist, but she worked with me and it was mostly talk therapy a little bit of cognitive behavioral therapy, and we did EMDR for trauma. And then I saw her again after having postpartum hemorrhaging after my first birth. And I've honestly, since that point, that was about almost three years ago now, I've been continuously in therapy. And Keish and I have talked about this. Like, I see therapy as like going to the gym now. I don't have to be having like a mental break in order to like really benefit from therapy. And I acknowledge also that like being in therapy is a total luxury. You know, I think there are, there are more accessible forms like better help and different like companies are doing things to try to make it a little bit more um, accessible and approachable and doing it online and different options. But a little caveat when we're like, oh, we're in therapy and stuff. Like I do understand that that is like a luxury of time and resources that 
a lot of people may, may not have. Yeah, I think we'll definitely link some things because in the last, even just in the last six months, I've been pretty impressed by the amount of, you know, everything comes in waves, like, especially with like startup companies, everyone kind of like hangs their hat on like one idea and it's just like different variations. So right now there's like Alma, there's like you said, BetterHelp, which I think is like one of the original ones. But there are a lot of resources that are starting to pop up, both insurance-based and out-of-pocket. And so we'll link whatever we can that might be helpful. But I mean, therapy really to to destigmatize it for me, and I've been to different kinds of therapy, to different kinds of providers, it really is a way to be yourself in an uninhibited way and to speak your truth to somebody and get insightful feedback in a safe place without it necessarily being the people you normally look to as your safe places. Like I've gone to therapy and I have a phenomenal husband and a great family, but you know, every family has its dysfunction and every relationship has pain points and it wouldn't be fair for me to take those things constantly to my relationship, you know, or vice versa. Like if I were always complaining to my husband about my family or always complaining to my family about my husband, I think that's where, um, you know, you'd get into some trouble, not, not just because it's like cheese may or gossip, but because you're really, it's not beneficial for anybody and it's not actually helping. But with therapy, you can actually sit down and like talk through things and understand like, oh, I realize that I'm feeling unnecessarily anxious about this and this is why. And then like when you start kind of unraveling these thoughts and emotions, you can really get to the root of, oh, this is where, you know, that anxiety comes from. Like clearly I feel like I need to control like a space in order to feel good or accomplished about something, which, you know, those are the types of things that you can really get through. I mean, a lot of people, I think, are they get nervous to, for someone that's never been in therapy before, is like, I don't know if that's for me, or I don't want to, like, be uncomfortable or whatever. Like, it, it helps to kind of know, like, okay, well, what can I expect? You know, and every mm-hmm. therapist is going to approach things a little bit differently, and every person is going to have a different experience. But I think generally, it's safe to say that, like, with talk therapy, at least, you know, my experience has been, it's like you you start talking on whatever topic that, like, you know, has been causing anxiety or stress in your life. And usually it's like in the process of explaining it. And what I find is so helpful is like my therapist will kind of like stop me every once in a while and just like ask another question. Why do you think that affected you that way? Or like prompts, you know, in ways that kind of like they're questions that I, in when I'm spiraling, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm not asking those like, oh, but is that grounded in like a reality or you know, was that something you kind of added to it? And without being like biased or pushing any kind of a solution, she really helps me come to the conclusions really myself and recognize patterns in my own tendencies and behaviors myself. And I feel like that self-awareness being like, I recognize certain patterns of things that I do when I'm stressed or, or scared or different things. And I'm like, I'm not saying that like therapy fixes you. So you never have those patterns that are, you know, based on long-standing parts of who you are and stuff, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't necessarily always fix you. But I think that having the awareness of like, oh, like, is this really that my situation or am I perceiving it this way because of this pattern of behavior I have when this thing kind of 
you know, comes up for me. And I think that that's so empowering. It's like empowering to be able to even just start to understand yourself. And I think the more you yeah. do, I don't know, maybe this is cheesy and maybe, maybe I'm being a, you know, a little navel gazing, but like, I think it, it's, it's fun to kind of view your own mind as like, it's someone you're getting to know, you know, we have yeah. parts of us, like I, everybody had those like brain classes in like middle school where they're like, explain the parts of your brain that are like mm-hmm. oh, mystery that like we don't even they're not our <laughs> brain and stuff there is there, there's always going to be parts yeah. to our own selves that we don't fully understand mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that are like, the things that are automated in the way that we behave and act and interact with people I think it's fascinating I'm like what a great you have one life like might as well study yourself a little bit I totally agree and I'm I'm laughing and giggling a little bit because this kind of harkens back to AI for me. It's kind of like meta, right? Like you're like AIing yourself. You're like chat GPTing yourself where you're just like stepping back and taking a look at everything, everything you've cataloged, like your emotions, your thoughts, your growth patterns. And I think over time, my dad always used to say like, there's no graduation to therapy. Like you don't yeah. like get a certificate one day of like, oh, hey, I'm like cured. Like that's yeah. not what it's about. But where the AI part of this comes in and why I'm laughing is because like you kind of like start to recognize your own algorithm over a while. Yeah. And, it, and it's never perfect. Like obviously there are things that trigger you back into like old behavioral patterns. Like, you know, an ex-boyfriend like comes out of nowhere and you're like all of a sudden like, you feel insane inside or whatever, you know, like different, different scenarios or like somebody says something to you and it like puts you back in like a childlike place. But I think when you, you consistently practice therapy, you consistently practice like staying on top of your mental health and maintaining like healthy behavioral patterns and doing the things that, you know, make you feel whole, like journaling or meditation or creating a routine for yourself. Like when those triggers do come up, like the bursts of like spiral are so much shorter because you're like, oh, I can recognize what's happening there. Like somebody said that and it made me feel like that one time when I was four years old. And so I need to like release like that attachment and like you know you you learn how to walk yourself through it you just get way more meta (laughs) well I feel like it's also helpful with like those intimate relationships like the people that you do lean on I think that I I find myself in therapy sometimes running through things and then I'll, I'll hit points where I'm like is that something that like should I bring that up to my person you know or my mom or my partner or whatever it is and like and sometimes she's like yeah like, yeah, you should, like, you guys should have that conversation mm-hmm. where there's other situations where I'm like, well, I was wondering this thing and like, you know, this, and, and then, and then she, she didn't want to say anything. I'm like, but that's kind of irrational, isn't it? And she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, it's just, you don't have to say much. It's funny, but like, it is a safe place to kind of, I, I feel like since I've been in therapy, I'm like, I feel like I do, I'm not wasting my important conversation moments with my people. Yeah. You know, I feel like it's really helped me filter through like, oh yeah, no, like the reason I got upset with this thing is because of this other conversation that we really need to have that has been the stem of this thing and this thing and this thing and this thing, you know? And then I can really be like, like focused and feel like my real self when I'm bringing critical conversations to the people in my life. I completely agree. Speaking of your people and 
speaking of cheese may <laughs> what, what is the things that, I don't even know what that is. oh my god cheese may so my um full disclosure my godmother is my mom's older sister but her husband is um Mexican and he's from Chihuahua, Mexico. Okay. And so I've grown up with a lot of Latin influence and chisme. And somebody will probably like reach out and be like, that's not correct. But the way that I understand it is like chisme is like the gossip. And I just, okay. I just texted my cousin this link because I found this awesome like female, like small business owner. And she has this thing called the Chismosas Club. And I'm like yes. obsessed. And she just, it's like the cutest branding ever. She's like, I'll show it to you. Um, Wait, what does cheese may mean? You didn't even get to the the definition. Yeah. Oh, cheese may is like the gossip. It's like oh, the, the gossip. tea. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. So our loved ones and the yes. tea, because one of the things I think keeps coming up as a recurring theme is not just mental health in ourselves, but mental health as it surrounds us, like with our loved ones, with our parents, you know, now that we're parents, I think that I for sure am thinking about how important it is to take care of our brains as much as it is to take care of our bodies. And also like what it means to take care of myself and how that's way more important because I have a small person relying on me and like, how am I going to impart healthy mental behavioral health patterns? So I really wanted to, I think we both wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit. How weird is it being a mom? <laughs> like being so, responsible for somebody's <laughs> well and that's the thing is that I feel like you know with all the people talking about therapy and becoming self-aware and mindfulness and all this stuff like a lot of people end up bringing up like and it's not always negative it's not like oh my parents fucked me up you know it's like it's, mm-hmm. no it could be as simple as like not even a negative thing but like oh because of the way my family was set up and that my siblings are this ages like I kind of had this belief about myself and I believe, and now looking at it, I'm like, maybe that was limiting. You know, it's like not necessarily like people did things to me, Mm -hmm. but like your situations, your families, the way you live, the work patterns of your parents, like they do affect you and they create the person you are in a lot of ways for good and for bad. But then I think about that and I'm like, it's hard sometimes like uh, when I, we're not perfect parents, you know? And Mm -hmm. at times it's like almost overwhelming to the point of like feeling like I can't do anything for my kids. Cause it's like, what, what if it's the wrong thing? And just, you just makes you freeze sometimes. But I think that I, you're a phenomenal mom, by the way, (laughs) in case no one told you that today, (laughs) I do feel like what I try to constantly return to is that I'm not teaching my children perfection. I'm not teaching like, it, for me to have to be a perfect parent means that I'm like trying to teach them perfection. And I'm like, I don't want my kids to think that like they always have to be perfect. I want my kids to be able to cope with any emotion that comes their Yes. Way. The adaptability. So, yes. And I'm like, they need to be able to see like, okay, what does mommy do when she gets frustrated even by my daughter? You know, like what, what does mommy do when she feels failure or, you know, anything is is really sad like how does mommy kind of handle herself because they're watching everything and I'm like I want them to see that rainbow of emotions and how I move through it and I want them to like develop some techniques and like we we practice like breathing and yoga and sometimes it's an apology for for yelling you know being like I'm sorry mommy was really upset in that moment 
And I'm sorry if I raised my voice and it scared you, you know, mm. uh, and, but it's just like just having that accountability and stuff that it's just like, it's a trip. But I feel like when I think of the best way we can parent is just like, like taking yeah. the pressure off from just being perfect because that doesn't serve the ones that we're following. And I, and I honestly, I mean, we're not parents to our audience, but I think that our messaging, when you and I talk about the the mission of Bridget, it's, it's aligned with that. It's like, I think that being real and transparent and, you know, even in our interviews, sharing the teenage, you know, those formative years in their truth with our audience and, and showing how impactful the highs and the lows are and how essential they are to success. That's the good stuff, you know, like, yeah, that, that's what creates connection and trust and moves us forward together. So mm -hmm. there's a little soapbox, but like, no, it just like, it really brings up so much emotion in me because I hear so many idiosyncrasies and like the way that you describe motherhood and the way that I feel. I also, I like to layer on top of that because I, everything you said resonates with me naturally, but like, I also feel so much empathy for my parents, you know, now being a mom and like having that feeling of like, oh my God, am I doing this right? Like I feel like I'm making things up as I go because I am. And then I think about my mom, you know, who did this and, and she's basically the same age I am now when she had me. I have so much more empathy where, you know, like as a teen or a young adult, I feel like there there's a little bit more of like those moments of where you could like look back and be like, oh my God, my mom and dad, this, that, you know, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to one, be a parent and really understand like the implications of that and how there it's impossible to be a perfect parent. Like the only thing you can do right is love your kid unconditionally. And I can say like, without a doubt, both my parents did that. Yes. do that every day. And the other thing is that accountability piece you were talking about it. I really love that because I think one of the things that has really made a huge difference in my relationship with my parents, with my dad in particular, we had a lot of struggles um, understanding each other growing up. For some of our longtime listeners, you might remember that my dad that I grew up with is actually my mom's second husband. He adopted me when I was um, five and a half years old. So, so there was a big learning curve for both of us because I was used to being a single kid and he'd never had kids before. And one of the things I think as an adult that has just, it's really solidified our relationship and brought us like a whole nother level is that he's been the type of person that is really consistent with leaning into the uncomfortable and, and into growth. And he's been able to sit down and take accountability for the things that he's felt like he's needed to take accountability for. You know, some things I, you know, never bothered me. And some things I'm like, wow, it really, really impacts me and affects me and humbles me that you can sit down and say like, I'm sorry for this thing that I did, or I'm, I'm sorry for the way that I acted or, I'm ashamed of this. And this is, you know, why I try to be better every day. It like, I think that's a really rare gift that I hope becomes a lot more present, you know, in the world because I have such a good friendship with my dad and it all like boils back down to the way that he is able to articulate and communicate. Yeah. 
his feelings. And, um, you know, I think that's why we're both so passionate too about what we do here and, you know, why we focus on these stories of women who have braved failure and, and braved, you know, having to do it over and over again until something stuck or, you know, had to do it alone or, you know, felt like an outcast their entire lives. And like these, you know, single moms and, and women who have just worked really hard to get to where they're at and not because it was easy, but because they were accountable and, and, you know, and so it just all comes full circle. Yeah. I think that there's just so much, you know, as we were like talking the, in the beginning of the episode about like all the pressure from social media and like just the, the rates of depression. I mean, we didn't even touch on like the post pandemic world, you know, oh my God. And, yeah. and like the ripples of effects that we are feeling as mankind <laughs> really from, <laughs> from what we went through um, and the confusion and the, the fear divisiveness. Yes. You know, that there are just so many waves of issues that I think are just now surfacing for people. I feel like people are having to learn how to be a community again. Yeah. post. It's it's funny because it's like, because we were isolated, I don't know if this was everybody, but it really felt like it. We, we leaned into social media hard, mm-hmm. like TikTok mm-hmm. took off, you know, because yep. we were all in our own houses and we're like, but we want to connect to each other still. So the, all these good things came out of it. Like I remember working out on Instagram live and, you yeah. know, these things we're like, we're all baking at the same time and, you know, whatever. But the banana bread. <laughs> so much pizza night, like all things. But I think that even though that was like a good impulse, it's like during this time that we were already so isolated, we are like leaning into this thing that's like kind of still false connection it's a great starting point you know mm-hmm. and it facilitates people you knowing of each other you know and being inspired in a lot of ways but it's hard to build that sense of like real community just online oh my god one banger that my therapist gave me several weeks ago actually several months ago but she said this and i was like that is so true she said that oversharing is a trauma response. And I saw your eyebrows perk up, but I was like, oh my God, everything makes sense now. Like social media, the pandemic, everyone's going through this shared trauma. So now everybody feels the need to just like word vomit and like put everything out there. And I Again, it like goes back to that thing of like toxic positivity where it's like you just go so hard in one direction that you're like back on like the bad side of the bell curve where you're like Yeah. yeah. And I think like, okay, well, we're not like yeah. no toxic positivity, but also like no toxic negativity too. Yeah. No. Yeah. And I'm just like uh, how like this post pandemic world, I think that's what's missing is that like balanced piece. Like where, where's the fulcrum or like the yeah. part where we just can, you know, sit, sit a little bit in the discomfort, but also like keep our nose tilted, like toward the sun and like, remember that everything's going to be okay. And, you know, it's all cyclical. Well, that's why I think that, you know, we, we just went briefly through it, but having some of these like checklists and things and like frameworks to go through to kind of a central definition and understanding where it's like, okay, like 
where where is the turn like when is something a a disorder you know or when mm-hmm. is something like a, like a serious issue or something that I should seek help for I mean already too I mean we were talking about this recently about just like a lot of these psychological issues and like there are some that you can test chemically to see like what's going on with imbalances and stuff but a lot of it is um subjective you know mm-hmm. and and can last a short amount of time can last a very long amount of time it, it's hard to know like like what to call certain things how much help to seek so i think even if you're going through something like this and you're using like the the checklist of i think the seven items were changes in sleep new onset of guilt, changes in your energy level, changes Mm -hmm. in concentration or task completion, changes in appetite, changes in motivation or thoughts of suicide. Like if you're, you're checking some of those things. And I think a a second caveat in that definition was if a person has experienced five of those, those symptoms nearly every day for at least two weeks, he or she might be diagnosed with a major depressive disorder. What I liked in that definition was might, you know, um, I think that if you are seeking help, I think it's also helpful to say that get a few opinions, you know, mm-hmm. like the first person you reach out to for therapy or for psychiatric or psychological help might not be a fit. Um, and they might also not have you right. <laughs> you know, they're, yeah. you are you. So if you feel like something's not a match or not like kind of making, making sense or feeling productive for you, like seek a second opinion. Yeah. It takes time. It takes time to build a rapport with somebody and for somebody to really get to know you. Therapists and, and healthcare professionals are people too. I mean, I've had situations where like I've been in therapy and my therapist is like actually let personal bias like come into our session and not that that makes that person a bad person, but it did make me, you know, second guess like I think that I need to like find a better fit, you know, because the whole point is to have a safe space. So, I mean, it, it can take some time. It, it's, that's definitely not an easy road, but there are also things that you can do outside of therapy to help establish good foundations. And I think you were starting to go into that Asha. So we like actionable items here. Yes. Well, I think it's so, I mean, like your whole life can't be organized into a checklist, mm-hmm. but I think that especially when you're feeling, um, I think a lot of like mental health, people struggle when they don't feel like they have some sense of like forward movement or like a tool or a sense of control of something, you know, mm-hmm. something to kind of like find calm in or peace in. Um, so I think it's, it's nice to feel like, well, I have a toolbox you know, and one of the items in that toolbox is therapy. But even like right now, I'm kind of in a point with therapy where I'm like, well, we're at kind of at maintenance right now. Like I could mm-hmm. kind of maybe tell my therapist, like, I'm going to like check out for a little bit. I have some good tools from our sessions. I'll reach out like if I, mm-hmm. if I need to get back on because it's like, okay, I recognize some recent patterns and I know how to like kind of see them, acknowledge them, you know, and stop them with the other things that I know work for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think they're different for, for everybody, but yeah, like one of the things I was talking about with that I work with my, my babies with is breathing. Like it's a thing that we all do and we forget that we're doing, you know? So we, we started, um, I always like to share what we 
we did at the beginning of a, a lot of our Bridget workshops um, from the onset was starting with a meditation and or breathing exercises. And there's so many. I think people have heard of like box breathing, which is like inhaling for a certain number, like say four, holding the breath at the top of the breath for four counts, exhaling for four counts, and then holding the bottom of the breath for four counts. So you kind of like imagine that box like taking time to inhale, hold, and exhale actually calms your nervous system by regulating, you know, your your heart rate. So that's one technique, but there's all sorts of different like breathing, alternate nostril breathing. We've done that. I mean, even just like inhaling through your nose and exhaling through your mouth audibly, like there's so many different ways that you can um, just honestly play with your mm-hmm. breath and see how it kind of uh, affects your state of mind. I've even like some of these like breath work classes and stuff, they do these like ecstatic breathing and all sorts of things, but it can really change your whole state of being. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a really accessible one. I'm like, if you're, you're in a place where you're like, God, I'm feeling anxious. Maybe I don't have generalized anxiety disorder, but I'm feeling anxious. (laughs) Um, What's something in my toolbox? And that's, that's one thing. What's another one that works for you, Kishi? Oh, I love the breathing one. Also remember like having your hand on your stomach and like mindfully breathing in and out through your diaphragm. Sleep has been a big one for me, especially since having Jude. I think when I started like our pregnancy and fertility journey and everything around that time, we were, Kevin was kind of starting to point out that like the entire time we'd been together, I was waking up at least like five or six times a night and it had just become so normal to me because that's how I've been my entire life that I didn't realize that I was doing it to the extent that like my partner was even noticing it. And I'm like, Kev can sleep through an earthquake, um, but he can't sleep through me waking up five times a night. Um, (laughs) But sleep has been a really, really big one. So getting, you know, six to eight hours of sleep and making it a priority to have like a wind down before you go to bed and like putting the phone away and taking yourself mindfully off of any type of screen or, or anything like that. And, um, reading a book instead or picking up a journal and writing things down at the, the top and the end of your day, you know, before you go to bed, when you wake up, like taking that time, taking that extra moment, you know, transitioning into and out of sleep, I think has been really, really essential. And just sort of revering it a little bit more, even though I still, you know, especially with a newborn and and an infant, like it, sleep is never going to be perfect. Like I still get up during the night and like, I'm a lot more easily wakeable. I think just naturally having a kid, but I feel so much more well rested. And I think that makes a huge difference in like anxiety and irritability and just like energy levels and digestion, honestly. And those are all things that really impact mental health. Also activity is a big one for me. Exercise movement is really important. I try and get movement in every day. You know, I love, I love your like sleep point. I think we really share the movement. Um, I mean, everybody, I, I think I truly believe that people are like, oh, I'm a health nut or I'm not, or I, I like, I like to work out mm-hmm. or like, you know, other people are like, I don't, how could you ever like that? I think at the end of the day, if everybody has a form of movement that works for them, it's just a matter of finding it mm-hmm. um, and sticking with it for long enough to see yourself growing within it. But I think that like, 
I used to kind of look at sleep as like an annoying thing we have to do and like how, <laughs> how can I function, you know, with like the minimum amount mm-hmm. so I can maximize my days. And I think I've really shifted in my, my husband helped me actually, when we started dating, he, he like rocked my world when he, like, I kind of learned how he thought about sleep. But now I really am like, I see sleep, like I see like nutrition, you know, or any, anything really. I'm like, there's so much work that my body does while I'm sleeping to reincorporate the thoughts of the day, the learnings of the day, uh, the food that I ate, the, the workouts that I did, the work that I did. Um, our body uses that time so productively. So it's, I, I really have a respect for, for sleep. And I'm like, you know, if I don't, don't get it, that like everything the next day is, is going to be subpar. So I think I could totally relate to the sleep piece, but yeah, I think, I think movement too. Um, I don't know about you, but I, I feel like when my emotions start feeling problematic is when I, I feel like I'm sitting in them. Like, and I think that sometimes like real sadness can just feel stuck like that. And that's like normal. But I think being able to like have a feeling of like, just kind of like letting your, your emotions like move through you and beyond you, you know, like Mm -hmm. let it flow over me and then let it fly away, you know, cause I'm, I'm here for the next thing. I think that physical movement matches with that very well like partic- for me i feel like when i'm really going through something like yoga particularly feels so good cuz i'm matching my breath to my movement and it just kind of feels like i'm syncing everything up and my emotion kind of aligns with that like flow you know it gets me in a flow state but then for everybody it's different some people are runners some people are weight training some people are doing boxing yeah, whatever I was it is say, i like, wish i i like always wished i was like way better at yoga um, I always I don't think like, something as being good. At yeah, yoga, I know, though. I know, I know. <laughs> but it's so I, funny. Like people are like, "Oh, you're so good at yoga." I'm like, to be good at yoga, I think it's to be like to, it's have to immerse a, yourself in the practice. It. I think, yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is like when I get onto the mat, like it's so so gratifying. I just am not. I'm not good at getting onto the mat. For me, it's like I have to do like the weight training and like like the simple body movements, but like, that's like where I get my aggression out, you know, like my energy. It's like that, like pent up energy just goes right into that. But it's the same concept. It's like you find whatever movement suits you or whatever movement you need. And just like, it's a way to release it. It's a way to like translate those emotions into like a physical, tangible action that burns it out of your system. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I even think it's like, I mean, we're talking about more complicated organized movement, but even something as simple as going for a walk, you know, mm-hmm. and getting some fresh air and ideally some sunshine or going for, I mean, solo going for a walk or like one of my favorite ways to catch up with a friend is like going for a walk together. Cause I think having your body in that like slightly elevated heart rate, like fresh air, rhythmic stepping, I feel like the emotional connection that I have with my friends while we're on walks is always so much deeper. Just like I think it pr- puts us in a state of of relaxed flow, and I feel like that you're leads outside. To like yeah, walking or even Lara Reeves Mofidi talked um, about tapping. How tapping has been yeah, a great that's right, and kind of brings her, especially because 
her episode was um, extensively about eating disorders and recovery from that. And that's a very um, physically sometimes dissociative issue, right? That you're feeling like separate or needing to like externally like control your body in a lot of different ways, but tapping kind of just bringing yourself back to your body, you know, in so many ways. I've, I've experimented with tapping a little bit and found it so helpful. Even just like whether there's like the technique for tapping that you, you know, learn from someone else, but even just like tapping just different parts of my body repetitively to be like, you know, these are my feet that walk. you like, my legs are here. Like, we're good. Like, we are showing up to work today. You I know? love and, that. <laughs> I like your little cheer. Good reminder. Yeah. It's a good reminder that it's like, okay, I am present. I am in my body. You know, I have this ability to, to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Oh, another thing I love is um, I call it reverse affirmations because I think I do this when I need it the most. So obviously everyone's heard of affirmations, you know, like I'm strong, I'm wise, I'm deserving, which I think is really, really beautiful and very, very powerful. I'm not knocking that at all. But one of the things I find myself doing sometimes is like when I'm negging on myself and I'm like trying to get into that space of positivity and I'm like, oh, I'm wise. Like there's that voice inside me that's like, no, you're not. (laughs) So like that's the part, that's the part where like the reverse affirmation comes in where you write down that terrible thought or whatever, you know, like I look terrible today or like, you know, I have stretch marks, like whatever is like ailing you at that time. And then the reverse part is where you either like cross it out or you write a response to it that flips it on its head. And it's not like, it's not like you're doing like the whole toxic positivity thing. It's like, okay, what was my example? Like, you're not wise or like, oh, I feel really stupid today. Like crossing that out and being like, no, I work towards my goals. And if I feel like I don't know something, I look it up. Like that's a true statement. Or like, you know, I have stretch marks. Like, yes, I do because I carried a child for nine months and I did everything that I could possibly do to make sure that I was a safe and healthy space for my son and he's here and he's safe and healthy. And so like, that's a great thing. I like using reverse affirmations for those moments where I'm just like not quite positive enough positive enough to do the the real thing or if I'm just like having like a slump of a day or like you know everyone has those moments where those like words of self-doubt like really start to creep in and those are the moments where I'm like okay I can hear myself really spinning here and like that's valid everyone has these moments but like what's the other part of this truth and so I like practicing that. <laughs> Which... I like that. I like that your your practice of kind of writing it down too. I think that like you can kind of go through some similar practices in, in like some therapy sessions mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where I feel like they through asking the, the questions, like getting to the end of like, you're like, I have a fear of this. Like, I don't want to do this thing. I keep avoiding this activity because I'm afraid of like, like oh, I don't want to make these calls because I don't want to bug people. Yeah. You know, like whatever it is. And it's like, okay, why do you think that you would bug them? Oh, because of this. And it's like, oh, well, okay. Well, what if it's actually really useful for you to call? What if you call them at the right time when like they really need your help? Oh, okay. And and what happens like, okay, if you really did bug them, say you were super annoying, what happens? 
then. They'd just be like, okay, I gotta go. Like, don't call me again. You're like, okay. Like, are you, <laughs> you know, did you lose money? You know, so it's like, they kind of like walk you to the end of like the mm-hmm. line. And it's like, oh, like, yeah, kind of a rational fear. But like, if you only start in the like little without like kind of diving into like, what is the actual big scary thing there? Yeah. Usually it's like when you write it down, either it's like, it's funny because it's so untrue at its core. Or it's like, it doesn't actually exist. Yeah, it doesn't hold weight. Yeah, right. that's exactly what it is. On the thing, like, oh, uh, you're trying to like come up with like, okay, what what is the thing? You're like, I have a fear that I, I'm not going to be successful at all. And I'm going to end up on the street, you know? And you like write that down and you're like, but am I? You know, like, is that <laughs> really an option? Like how many steps, like if I don't do this one thing or if this one thing goes wrong, like, is that really going to happen to me? Like, do I really have nothing else going for me right now? I think that like, yeah, writing it down and like kind of facing it, facing the fear is like, oh, wait, like you're really not, that's, that's not a real thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Reverse affirmations. It was actually truthfully born from a CBT exercise, a cognitive behavioral therapy exercise, but it's like the lazy man's version because I love a lazy man. (laughs) Because it's it's realistic and it's what I have time for. (laughs) This is like, you know, this is the quickie version. On another note, though, we actually, we've done some polling throughout the years of our audience, you know, on different different topics. And one that I thought was kind of interesting when we asked a group of young women how they like pull themselves out of a slump, uh, a repeat answer was like, getting dressed, you know, doing my makeup that kind of thing. And I think that it gets like a bad rap sometimes, like having to like look hot or like, you know, do yourself up and not like, you know, do makeup, do your hair, whatever. But I I do think that there is something so powerful about a good shower, you know, like do whatever you do to make your hair feel good, like do your skincare or your makeup or whatever it is that you think that gets you looking your best and throw on a different outfit. And it's like, it can change your entire physicality, state of mind, everything. I think sometimes like we just physically have to do what we feel like. All right. Changing your kind of state of being. I I think that it's sometimes when we're feeling really bad, it's like, oh, like I'm just not going to put in the effort because why would I? Why does it matter? Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes just putting a little effort like feels, it feels good. Yeah. It's kind of like sloughing off whatever mask you're wearing at the time, whatever like cloud is hanging over your head. Just like that act of either dressing or undressing, like whatever state you're in. I feel like that transition is something we've definitely heard helps people. And I can totally relate to it. It's like, at the end of a work day, you know, and I'm like, wow, today was kind of heavy. And like, you just come home, you want to strip everything off and like get into your cozy clothes. And like, you immediately feel just so much better. Mm-hmm. Or on the flip side, it's like you're at home all day and like you feel kind of gross and, you know, you're thinking about this, that, or the other thing. And like, you take the time to, I think it's, you know, taking a moment for yourself to like look yes. pretty, do your makeup do your hair or don't do your makeup, but wash your face, like whatever it is. It's just like giving yourself that moment to focus on something pretty arbitrary and simple. And, you know, it's a diversion, but also a, um, like you said, a way just like shifting the form that you're in to, to kind of like step out of the current headspace. I think that, I mean, I guess this is sort of tied to our mental health topic but i i think that gotten a little bit older 
I think that a really productive mindset shift that's helped me in so many ways and and I think actually dramatically impacted my happiness is to think of things less like trying to what can I do to like please others or satisfy others more or fit the roles that I'm supposed to be in more like all of this like external measurement and instead just shifted to being like how can I invest in myself more like mm-hmm. viewing almost everything that I do as something that serves me and is an investment in myself or that isn't. And it's such a productive filter for like anything as we get like more demands coming our way and things trying to fill our time. Like if I, if I look at something, I'm like, is this an investment in my life, in my happiness? Does it serve like what my goals or does it not? And it's like, I, I think just like that, what we're talking about, like taking that moment for yourself, I'm like that is investing in yourself. It's saying like, I want to give myself a, a shower. I'm going to do what it takes to like make myself feel good. I'm going to, you know, get dressed. And even if it's just for a, an hour dinner with my friend, you know, I'm going to go and like feel good and enjoy myself and come home. Like whatever it is that like makes you feel good. I, I, I view all of those things as investment in self, like whether it's going to the gym and doing all the things and, and stuff, but also like going to therapy investment in myself, you know, taking an hour to myself, even though like there's a million different things that, that people could be pulling. I completely agree. (laughs) So many good points. I feel like it's hard to find a moment to cap our conversation a little bit, but we do want to go ahead and round out this point in the conversation to be continued next week on episode part two. This again was mostly just like, it was just conversation on mental health. Definitely not a class, but we'll be working on some of that content for y'all. Organized understandings of mental health, one of many topics. But please see episode part two for a Q&A. We had members of our audience reach out with some questions on this particular topic. So we're excited to get into it with you. See you next week. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?